All right, that was uh, Steely Dan. Hey, 19. Take this off here. Um, an interesting video. I have actually never seen that video before. I think that was on maybe MTV, possibly VH1 back in the day. I'm not sure when VH1 actually started. The video came out in 1981. So if uh, the gal in question was 19, they would have been born in 1963. Which means Hey 19 would be 60 next year. Just putting everything into perspective. It's an interesting video. Um, it comes at a time where that's probably the last great or semi-great Steely Dan album, which is Gaucho. I mean, they hit their, their pinnacle with Asia. It's kind of interesting because he climbs the hill in Asia, right? Asia, he talks about climbing the hill in Asia. It's like they reach the top. And then there's the other side of the hill, which means you're going downhill, right? There's a valley below, which you hit this pinnacle, and then you're back down there with the rest of everybody at some point. So Gaucho is kind of the album on the other side of the hill. It's still good. Not great. Not, not, not Asia great. I don't even think it's Royal Scam great. And I think Royal Scam is, is a great record. My, I might even like it more than uh, Asia. Asia is the pinnacle of the polish, no doubt. Uh, Gaucho, still good. Slightly on the other side of the mountain. The video, I'm not sure how much input uh, Donald Fagan had in the video. Because um, he seems like a control freak. He's the Capricorn. We talked about this yesterday. The video is interesting because on a number of levels, I'm not going to go back to the video, but I noticed that the guy who's older in the Hey 19, they, it was almost as if they were in like a bomb shelter. If you look at it, it's one of those kind of Quonset Huddy kinds of rooms, right? And it's like, he's the last man on earth. So she has to be with him. I mean, you could read into that a little bit, but Obviously, he's looking at being with somebody young. It's completely banal, completely superficial, but it reminds him of when he was younger and back in the day. What's interesting about the imagery, because if you're, well, if you're listening on the podcast, by the way, welcome to 15 Minutes of Flame. Uh, if you were to be able, if you were able to see it, the imagery, that imagery is rife and right out of like San Francisco circa 1966, 67, 68, the two-year period, the height of the summer of love. And I just don't associate Donald Fagan with that at all. Like, I think he was in New York at that time. And I wouldn't consider New York like the epicenter of the summer of love. Like they had some really dark shit going on in New York at that time. Um, very dark stuff. Lots of strikes. Uh, John Lindsay was the mayor was you know, in a state of turmoil, uh, having to deal with um, a number of issues. 
unlike San Francisco, which was the new age paradise in the point of pilgrimage for lots of people, San Francisco has always been that way. It's always been a point of some kind of hope or redemption. LA has the same quality, but they're different, right? Like in LA, you know, you could go there and be a star in a week. They'll make you a star, which comes from the song. Do you know the way to San Jose by Dionne Warwick? There's always that idea about LA that you could in San Francisco too. You could, you could remake yourself. It's exactly what Jim Jones did. Excuse me. Jim Jones comes from uh, the Midwest. If I'm not mistaken, it's uh, Indiana. I'd have to, I always get Indiana and, Ohio mixed up with Jim Jones, but uh, he comes from the Midwest and he remakes himself. And uh, he'd always had baggage. He'd always had this weird kind of orphany thing going on with him, even when he came to California, like adopting orphans, but he remakes himself. Uh, And um, yeah, this is the California way, right? You go West, you take on a new identity It's even kind of baked into Mad Men with the Don Draper character, although it's kind of inverted in some ways, right? Because Don Draper is an assumed identity from, and it was somebody who lived in California and died during the war. So uh, his identity was taken, his dog tags were taken. And then the Don Draper character goes to New York City and gets into the ad game by by taking somebody's identity essentially from California. So it's kind of a an inversion, but invariably he would go back to California to meet the uh, widow of the identity, the widow of the man whose identity he stole. Like he would go back there and meet her, and then he would send her money which was, they were like humanizing Don Draper. But even when he goes back to California, he gets to reinvent himself again on a number of these California episodes in, that take place in Los Angeles. And even the culminating episode, which theoretically takes place at Esalon and Big Sur, he creates the commercial that will change the world, which is, I'd like to teach the world to sing. That's his bright, shining epiphany moment he gets in touch with himself and as he gets in touch with himself creates one of the greatest commercials of all time globalizing um what is it was it coke or pepsi i can't i can't remember i think um it was pepsi i'd like to teach the world to sing a pepsi harmony so it was pepsi anyway a little bit of steely dan there and a little bit of uh steely dan sort of analysis. Hey, 19. Just one precious year over 18. Two very important years over 17. All right. Uh, We got a lot to cover today. Welcome to the show. Let's get into what's happening with the absolute uh, best chat group on the whole damn internet. And uh, that is Chataria. So uh, let me uh, let me get in here. 
and visit you guys, do a little meet and greet, which is what we always do at the beginning of the show. All right, who do we have? Uh, Michael Pafford. Let's see, IRS. Hold on, here we go. Let me go all the way to the top. All right, we got TJ. There's my man, Tom. Good morning, Michael Pafford. Yataria is here. We're ready to, uh, we're on the shore today. Every now and then, the yacht has to pull into the, uh, the Sandy Cove. The Sandy Cove, Dead Man's Cove. Of course, they name it Dead Man's Cove because they don't want anybody going in there. But we know Dead Man's Cove is the place to be. It's a big deke. It's a big misdirect. So Dead Man's Cove is actually paradise. There's your inverted world. Uh, interesting that Mar-a-Lago on the, in, uh, on the anniversary of Nixon's resignation. It is interesting. Um, so, man, this, this whole thing gets kind of deep and weird, right? It gets into simulation territory. Um, it gets into manipulation territory. And we're going to do our best to try to connect some dots and untangle some knots. Uh, who, who do we have? God, my eyesight sucks today. Is that, that DMAC? Is that what that is? I apologize if I'm butchering your uh, your name here, your, your uh, Chitari handle. Good morning to you. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? Funny how common sense is not common but is in an abundance here. Well, this is the distillation of individuals who have somehow managed to work through large chunks of the illusion, uh, have a highly developed sense of intuition while not surrendering their rational faculties. That's what makes this group very interesting. It, it's like we have one foot in the world and one foot not in the world, which was really one of the unspoken great commandments to be in this world, but not of it. All right. Who else we have? There's Ryan. What's going on? Ryan, the man. Uh, let's see. Ohm, ohm. What, what, what are y'all seeing? I guess we're going to find out today. Right now, I'm seeing blurry words because my eyesight today sucks. You know, I went to bed early last night. I thought to myself, I'm going to trick my clock. Ha ha. I'm going to go to bed early. For me, early is just after midnight, by the way. I know that's not really early for a lot of people, but it is for me. I'm thinking, you know what? I'll clock in. I'll get my seven-hour sleep. And I'm good. Mm, not really. I woke up at 5.30, 5.45. So I find if I don't get enough sleep, my eyesight isn't always as strong as I'd like it to be. But, what, you know, what am I supposed to do? The body says, all right, you're done, buddy. Get your ass up. I'm like, oh, do I really have to get up right now? But I followed the body. Uh, there's my girl, Fran. What's going on, Fran? CC. Uh, let's see. Oh, this that was funny, Michael. I think Ohm is part of the resistance. That's an electrical joke. Not only are you guys rational and intuitive, but you're funny. Uh, there's Susie, the sea goddess. 
What's going on, Susie? Good to see you. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, who else? Sony. There's our girl, Sony. She's here. So where's Wendy? I, there she is. I thought Wendy was going to just duck out once I played Walk Between uh, Raindrops. I was like, okay, I got it. I've had enough. Uh, Beth Berry's here. Wendy, it's always beautiful to see you. And you're checking in at 9-11. Symbolic. Who else do we have? There's JJ, who is uh, embarking on a new life, a new destination. Who was it? It was... Um, Henry Miller, one of my favorite quotes of all time is that when we travel, we don't necessarily go to new places, but arrive at new ways of seeing. I always like that quote, especially coming from Henry Miller, who is a bit of a perv. Um, he's a good writer. He was a better writer than Arthur Miller. Arthur Miller, death of a salesman. Eh. Okay, whatever. Um, let's see. Who else do we have? We gave a shout out to Om Om. Did I say hi to Beth Berry? If I didn't, Beth, I'm saying hi twice. You're, you're worth it. Uh, who is this? Ju Julie? Joe, it's JJ. Yeah, man, my eyes are so fucked today. They're fucked. I'm going to have to take my eye vitamins. Hucklebuck 411. Always good. Tondar. So what about the smooth sounds of Dion Warwick, yacht or not? Did you post that after I started talking about, uh, do you know the way to San Jose? In a week, they'll make you a star. I think you did. Burt Bacharach has some hooks in the yacht world. He's got some hooks, right? Burt Bacharach, Herb Albert, the Beach Boys, the wrecking crew, like that whole LA kind of kind of scene. You got some hooks in the yacht. But I'm not sure they're yacht. You know, I was moving to San Jose when that song came out. I'm like, fuck yeah, man. This is my new place. We're moving to San Jose. It sounds great. And then I got there. Uh, who else we have? If she's on her way to San Jose. Yes, you guys are so funny. Uh, let's see. Fran, vo Fran votes no to Dionne Warwick. I don't think she's yacht. No. Burt Backrack has some hooks in the yacht, but he's not totally yacht. I've seen some weird examples of yacht. Like there's a, there's some Carol Bayer Sager songs that are considered yacht. I'm like, really? Carol Bayer Sager? I kind of listened to them a little bit. I'm like, eh, I guess I could hear it. I actually threw a Nicolette Larson song onto the deep yacht list. It's going to take a lot of love. It's pretty yachty. I did include Maria Moldar, Midnight at the Oasis, because I've always loved that song, and it's it kind of falls into that category a little bit. It's just a dreamy song, and it's great. Love it. I interviewed her a long time ago. It was one of my first interviewing gigs. And it was for this uh, college uh, TV show that I was involved with. It actually was broadcast uh, on, you know, 
the local local network. It was a PBS affiliate. So I was part of this college TV show when I was in junior college. And I was one of the few people, I guess, that had some interviewing skills. I mean, speaking of 19, I was just 19. And I remember interviewing like Bob Rafelson. Um, who else did I interview? I interviewed a bunch of people from the Bay Area music scene because they used to have these awards called the Bammies. And I think we were at the second annual Bammy Awards. And I was there with a crew. And I think I had some kind of a, I think it looked kind of yachty. I think I had kind of a linen suit I was wearing. And I remember being scared shitless <laughs> of interviewing these people. I'd never really done that before. But like, here, you go ahead, you do this. I'm like, okay. So I remember I got shit-faced. So I was pretty drunk when I was interviewing these people. It made uh, made the night a wonderful thing. So I interviewed Maria Moldar, and she was she was body. That's how I would describe Maria Moldar, body. Who else did I interview? I interviewed the guys from SVT. Jack Cassidy was in there. They were pretty cool. Um, I interviewed Herbie Herbert, who was the manager of Journey. Um, who else did I interview? I think I interviewed the producer of the Journey Records as well. It was an interesting night. It was one of those nights where it was like, that was cool. It was a good night. Uh, let's see, who else do we have? Kelly B. What's going on, Kelly? Um, let's see, what are we talking about? We got, uh, any chance Nish can make the last show available? She did with Robert to those who are on their Patreon. Yeah, that would be a good show. I should post it on my website or something or my YouTube channel. That'd be, that'd be great. Even the first, I think there's a first hour and a second hour for the Patreons. Uh, let's see who else we have. I guess it's another day in the yacht. You got that right. I'm going, I'm going yachting this weekend. Pictures. Pictures will be available. Maybe even some video will be available. Uh, let's see who else we have. Got Renee here. Hi, Renee. Good to see you. I once came in second in a tequila shooting contest. I lost because I passed out. It was at Cuervo Gold. Yuck. That was in my college days. <laughs> you, Nature and God was doing you a favor by passing you out. It was like, you're cut off. You are cut off. I have never passed out from drinking, but I blacked out one time. That was one of the scariest moments of my life. I was, I was working. I was working at this apartment complex. The apartment complex for singles. And we had had a, an apartment complex party that I was overseeing. And of course, I was indulging. What, what do you do when you're 19? I think I might have been 19. Maybe, I don't think I was 20. I think I was probably 19. And then I went over to one of the tenants' apartments and hung out with him and his his little crew, which was fun. 
And I remember, uh, again, more indulgence. And uh, I'm like, okay, I got to go. This is maybe about an hour after I was over at that place, maybe an hour and a half. And I lived probably maybe 12 miles away from the complex, maybe a little bit more, 14 at the most. So I had to drive through some three through some freeway action, two freeways actually. And then I got home. Well, I remember leaving the apartment complex. And then I remember waking up in my bed. That's it. That's it. And I, I remember waking up in my bed. Right? How the hell did I get here? How did I get here? And then I cautiously walked outside to see if everything with my car was okay. And it was. It was okay. I was like, oh, God. Based on the car, nothing bad happened. But that was the last time I ever blacked out. First and last. I, I guess, was it a black? Was it a, I didn't pass out. I just, I had a blackout driving. Um, was that dude hitting the first vape? I don't think so. I don't think they had vapes back then. Uh, they had some interesting pipes. Uh, let's see who else we have here. Holly Beth. What's going on, Holly Beth? Jasper's just in the other room, by the way. He's watching the uh, the live cam from Namibia. We were watching the Oryx this morning together. So he's checking out the Oryx. Uh, let's see. On the Mar-a-Lago thing, political heavy-handedness to the max, all right. Third world, tyrant quality. Well, they certainly want you to believe that, right? I mean, there's a part of this. We're going to jump into Trump here pretty quickly. There's a part that they want you to believe that they, they're stoking the fires for a massive armed conflict. This is what's happening. And the right and the left are doing it. They're both doing it. And we, we could make a case that the whole thing with Trump hits us in a way where we could all relate, right? It's the home. Like the home is supposedly your sanctuary. And that if somebody violates the sanctuary of your privacy, I don't care who it is, Donald Trump, or I don't care who it is, but it has a, an archetypal and primal effect on people. And that's exactly what's happened, right? It's like there are people who are very loyal to Trump and the ideas and the patriotism and everything that goes along with it. But just like when they talk about kids and how kids are politicized, you know, kids are um, emotional and psychological capital. And both sides are engaged in what I would call the uh, exploitation of children. Now, that's not to say that children are aren't um, aren't safe. They they aren't safe. I I saw a video the other day where these two gay fathers uh, adopted this kid and started putting him in in porn films. 
you know, do, can two straight parents do that? Well, sure, of course they could. And they have. A lot of, of MKUltra sex slaves come out of what we would call nuclear families. So it's not like uh, gay parents have the, uh, have the deed on exploiting their children for money and power that goes across the board. But it happens. And the whole adrenochrome thing, the whole uh, you know, tunnel thing, the whole let's save the kids thing. Look, it, I don't, I'm not saying that that's not there because I do believe it's there. There's enough evidence that supports this. And it goes all the way back to uh, things like the McMartins or people like the McMartins who owned the daycare facility that was clearly satanic. And that's when a lot of the kids were coming out and they were talking about like what was going on at some of these daycare facilities. And the, the message was, was that there was some weird shit going on. And that's where they had this whole concept of implanted memories. Like these kids were just reciting implanted memories. Like, like they were gaslighting the kids. So this has been going on for a while. You can trace it back. You could go back to um, the, the uh, scandal in, uh, was it Nebraska? The, the, the John Van Camp scandal, the Van Camp scandal, where they were tracing all these young boys that were being essentially abducted, Boys Town being a major uh, center for that to happen. And then running it all the way up to the White House and Bush and had a documentary on it. And they were going to run it. And then at the last minute, I think it was CBS, one of the networks, just, you know, pulled it. Like, no, we're not going to run that. And that was going on. So there's precedent for this stuff. It's not like it's not there. It's there. Okay. What's different about it now is that it's one of those things that seems to be exploited and get people very riled up because everybody hates the fact that kids are being violated and in some cases tortured. And we know the stories, right? Everybody that's watching this knows those stories or at least the re reasonable facts, some of those stories. If you don't know them, I'm not going to go through them, but, but they're there and we know that, right? We know that. And so that means that they're revealing the story. That's what they're doing. They're revealing the thing. They're showing you, yeah, it's real. And then what they do is they conflate it to this point where it becomes weaponized and used against the people who believe it and are incensed by it. So it, it becomes weaponized. And this is what happens with kids, period. Like there are these batteries that just become weaponized. The left does it too. You know, the left has their own version, kids in cages, AOC at the border. They didn't give a fuck about kids. It was, it was just, you know, optics. That's all it was, it was just optics. They don't care. So children are definitely exploited. They're totally exploited. And again, if you do your research and dig around, you'll see this stuff has been around for a long time. I used to know a therapist 
He's a buddy of mine. And he talked about, this is back in the nineties. And I, you know, I had had some understanding of the SRA stuff. If you don't know what SRA is, it's um, a satanic ritual abuse. And my first um, experience around it was the McMartins and their, their, their daycare school or daycare center. So that's when I, that's when it came into my consciousness. So that would have been around 1989, 1990, right around there. But then I eventually matriculated to hanging out with a friend of mine who was a, a therapist, PhD, was a doctor. Uh, and he had clients that were victims of SRA and multiple clients. And he would tell me, and this is not a guy that was conspiratorial at all. He was not conspiratorial. I would bring up the conspiratorial shit and, you know, he, he would, he would kind of listen, but I think he was just kind of, you know, he was curious because he was a Gemini. He was curious, but he was also probably kind of placating me because he liked me as a friend. That's what friends do. You know, the real friends will do stuff like that. They'll, they'll put up with some of your weird ideas or whatever. Um, but then when he started to talk about some of his clients, it was like, wow, that's interesting. And he, he was quoting SRA chapter and verse. So that was back in the, that was back in the nineties. So this stuff exists. It's not, it's not some imaginal or fictionary tale that they're creating in order to drive a narrative. What they're doing is they're exposing the narrative and then exploiting the narrative. This is what's happening. They do it on both sides. And, and now it's, it's just completely out in the open, right? It's, I talked about this yesterday with the uh, uh, drag queen. They went from drag queen story hour to drag queen dollar dance down at the bar. And now these kids are doing nine-year-old kids are doing like their sexual reveals. I mean, it's just like you're nine years old and now you're going to come out as a certain sex. How does this happen? How does this happen? It happens because they're being conditioned. See, I didn't use the uh, groomer word. I said conditioned. Because they're being conditioned to normalize this. It's a pro it's a program. And then, you know, we've covered the the outside influences, the xenoestrogens, um, whatever they're thrown out there in the uh, normal vaccine schedule. Uh sugar, we looked at sugar and how sugar, intense sugar intake on the mother's side uh can really change a young person's sexual orientation. So there are all these factors that go into it, but then you also have the social conditioning, the psychological conditioning. Anyway, um, so I feel like we're, on the one hand, it's interesting. It's interesting because I, I had a very uh, cool day yesterday in a lot of ways. I'll tell you about it and how it, how it relates to what we're, what we're going to talk about today. Um, so somebody on Twitter asked me if I use sidereal or placidus. And I said, um, sidereal Western. I said, Western, Western placidus. And, and he said, 
okay, um, you know, glad it works for you. I just don't understand why somebody would look at the planets when they could look at the stars. I, you know, valid point. I'm not going to sit there and argue uh, Western versus sidereal. But here's what I think is interesting. I'm sure I could sit down with maybe the top five sidereal astrologers on the internet, on the planet, whatever. And with and, and I could interview them and I could go through their case history with some of their clients and they could tell me a number of stories where through the sidereal chart, they would have hits with their clients. So in that, in that realm, sidereal astrology validates their, their method, right? Well, I could say the same thing about Western astrology because I've had many hits, both with a client and also in the mundane world. So does that make one system more accurate than the other system? And how could both systems work if they're based on different things with a theoretical provable model on a personal level and on a collective level? It's an interesting question because maybe the reason why is because reality is a lot more weird than we understand. And it's neither either or which will ultimately bring us into Trump world. Because that's what I'm going to talk about today, that it's neither or either or. And we have to, we have to shift our perception of reality in order to have a reasonable relationship with it. Note, I use the word reasonable. Because right now it's an unreasonable relationship. And when you're in an unreasonable relationship, and everybody's been in an unreasonable relationship. What, 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 what are the outcomes? Well, you fight, right? You fight. And then in most cases, you break up. First, there's a, you're already, if you're in an unreasonable relationship, there's already a good chance that you're already broken up. And people are just too afraid to talk about it. Um, or they're, they're, too afraid to move off of their familiarity. So if you're that deep in an unreasonable relationship, you're probably already done. It you some in some cases, when two people are um, painfully honest and painfully authentic with one, and when I say painfully authentic, right, it's not like fake authentic, but painfully authentic. And but there has to be equal amounts on both sides in order for two people to kind of redirect the energy of their relationship and actually grow from the unreasonable nature of it. Now that painful honesty and that painful um, disclosure and authenticity, it may not be the cure-all for a broken relationship. But what it will do is that it will, at the very least, bring some degree of truth and honesty to what's on the table. And then when that happens, then people can deal with it better. Or they can deal with it better because they know what's on the table. They know what they're 
you know, what it's not being hidden or occulted. It's not like, well, you're not the problem. You know, it's really me, which is, could be bullshit, right? I'm going to own this. I'm the problem. Well, you're doing that because you don't really want to talk about what's going on and how the problem is mutual in a lot of ways. Anyway, anyway, um, so, so this is, this is what's going on now, right? They're, they're stoking the fires of a broken relationship. I can talk, and how, what happens when a broken relationship, a real broken relationship that is unredeemable and irreparable? You fight and then you break up. And then it gets messy, especially if you're married, especially if you have assets, especially if you have children. It gets very messy. And invariably, somebody loses. There's not a win. Every now and then, you'll run across a couple who they both get what they want and need. And they're actually able to co-parent and kind of cohabitate separately in each other's lives. It's very rare. It can happen, but it's very, very rare. In most cases, there's always a winner and a loser. And invariably, it's mostly the men that lose. That's a different discussion altogether. So then you have a reformatted world, which is not fair. It's not fair. And who decides what that is? It's the courts. So we're, we're at that place now. We're, we're, we have a broken relationship, seems to be irreparable. And then what are the outcomes? There are the fights. We're already having the fights. You know, you get up in the morning and it's like, you know, you just start arguing. And that's happening all across America. And both sides are fueling it, by the way. That happens. And in extreme cases, you know, people will get angry and they'll start hitting each other in extreme cases. It happens. Men will hit women. Women will hit men. They'll hit each other, right? That's where, that's where we're headed. We're, we're headed to blows. Because the relationship seems irreparable. And both sides have contributed to this. And I would postulate and add to that story that what happened yesterday at Mar-a-Lago is significant in that regard. And there are people who are good loving, they're, they're good people, they're Americans, they have a sense of values, they see their values being stomped on every single fucking day. You know, they have to deal with critical theory, critical race theory, they have to do with critical gender theory all, you know, all this crap, they have to sit back and watch all this money. Again, we're going to assume that it's going to Ukraine. We don't have any, we don't have any, uh, any uh, swift receipts that the money is going to Ukraine. We, we would assume that it is because there are people who want to get a shitload of money and by sending it to Ukraine, they can launder it and it all comes back to them. But we're watching this in real time. Nothing's being hidden. And people are, they're angry. It's like, well, you know, we're fucking suffering here, you know, and you're sending money to this asshole who's ungrateful and wants more. You think that that's 
uh, just by happenstance. No, it's by design. They want people to get angry. And people should be angry. I mean, that's, that's, this, is the, this is the paradox of the whole thing. Yeah, people should be angry because it's not right. We know it's not right. And even people on the so-called left, deep down in their hearts, they even know it's not right. But they can't admit that to themselves. Because to admit that to themselves, their program would just shatter. They can't do it. They can't deviate from the program. I, I discovered this a long time ago. They used to be on this message board with these guys who uh, were warrior fans. It was like a kind of a small Golden State Warriors before they were, you know, winners message board. And 99% of them were all liberals, progressive liberals. And I, there was this one guy, and I remember it, it would talk about politics and economics. And there was this one, he was very smart. He was like an engineer. Um, but he had a decidedly, you know, baked democratic progressive viewpoint. And I think I, I've talked about this before. I, I, I queried, do you ever like part with your party's ideas or policies, philosophies, and to a person, they said no. They just said no, because they believed in everything that the party stood for, whether or not it made actual sense. There was always a way that they could somehow justify it. There was always a, a, you know, kind of a, a means to an end, right? And I'm like, you people are fucking insane. You can't even be critical of this thing that you've pledged allegiance to. I see it on the right as well. You know, you see it on the right. People can't be critical of the right if you're in the right. Because if you're critical of the right, they're going to say, well, you're a fucking lefty, right? This is how the game works. So one, it's, it's, it's a form of gaslighting. Like kind of once you're in, you know, once you're in that gang, you, you cannot question the rule of law for that gang. It's just the way, it's the way it is, uh, which I don't understand. I've never understood it. But then again, I was never a big joiner of groups. It's not my thing. Um, so this is what's happening now with this whole Trump thing. And I have a lot of questions about it. First of all, Where's the video? I mean, maybe there's video. I haven't seen it. I'm not saying it didn't happen. But again, we're like being injected with this event, which when you hear people talk about it, it's like, okay, this is the end. You know, they've never done this before with a sitting president. I mean, sorry, not a sitting president, but a former president. Maybe he's a sitting president. Who the fuck knows? Um, that's all convoluted and twisted. But they've never done it before. And then they say, well, they didn't do this to Hunter Biden. Oh, and the laptop. They knew, didn't do it to Hillary Clinton and the server. So it gets people riled up, right? That's all intentional, by the way. That's all provided to spark people and to provoke a sense of injustice. Because ultimately, I believe both sides, the right and the left, they, they, it's like 
there's no difference. There's no difference. And they both want the same thing at a certain level. You may have people down the ranks on the right. I'm not going to talk about the left because I think they're more Berg-like than the right. But you may have certain people down the ranks on the right that look at it and go, you know, I don't really uh, vibe with Mitch McConnell or I don't really vibe. Some even like Jim Jordan, who, do, who does great on these little, you know, grilling sessions. But if you talk to anybody from Jim Jordan's district, he doesn't do anything for them. And they don't have any, they don't have anything great to say about him. He gets elected because they don't they don't want the alternative. Right? So even somebody like Jim Jordan, you could go, what's going on with this guy? Right? You get Marjorie Taylor Greene who, you know, she's kind of a firebrand and but you know, she was a cute person. She got elected on the Q-tip. And Again, right? Can you can you um, you know deviate from the Q program? Back in the day, you couldn't. You couldn't deviate from the Q program. Like if you questioned the Q program when it was really at its peak, boy, they came after you. Really came after you. So again, there's degrees of this stuff, and you know you'll get people on the right who won't always agree, but they seem to have a particular um affiliation with what's happening at the higher levels of power and it's part of it's part of the hegelian dialectic and anthony sutton who was imperfect he was imperfect but he was the guy that pulled back the curtain on a lot of this stuff and when he looked at skull and bones and he looked at the so-called left and the so-called right they were equally dispatched across the board from skull and bones into positions of power in the media, in the corporate world, and in the political world. And the uh, most glaring example of that was when John Kerry ran against George Bush. You had the left and the right dialectic, both of whom were skull and bones members. And they were both asked about it by Tim Russert. And Tim Russert is dead. Now, I'm not saying that Tim Russell was killed, but has anybody ever brought up the skull and bones factor between Kerry and Bush Jr. since in the media? No. So we know that these people operate together at the same level. They do. They operate together at the same level. So what is the goal here? If their goal is power, because that's what Anthony Sutton talks about in a number of his videos and his books. It's about power, plain and simple. And in order for there to be uh, what I would call the SWO, which is the satanic world order, that this country has to fall. And they would much rather have the people of this country at each other's throats and in some kind of a civil war and then bring in something like the UN or some third party to try to restore order and then demonstrate that democracy and the Republic is a fail. It's a fail. Get rid of the constitution. Uh, they, they supplicate uh, the people on the uh, hard left. I believe the constitution is, 
a tarnished document under, under which the conditions of the Constitution were written. So they want to get rid of it. It's racist. So that would satisfy them. You know, a new kind of global document that comes out of the UN for every single nation of the world, right? That would satisfy them initially. That's where all this is going. And you have to wonder what Trump's role is in all of this. And I brought up the thing around the sidereal and the, and the placidus to try to understand that both things in a weird way can be equally true. And you could say, well, that's madness. And I don't really think it is. I think both, in this reality, both things can be equally true which makes it difficult for people, right? Pick a side. Well, if both things are equally true, then how do I pick a side? That requires some real presence of mind and thought and intuition and getting you as an individual to wrap your head around it and open up to it so that you come to a new place, that you are not, you are not engaged in the in the polaric field. Now, polarity and duality are important. They're part of the world. Like there are certain things that there are lines you don't cross. Those things are quote unquote bad, evil, right? I mean, and they're they're moral things. They're moral things. Like, you know, you don't fuck over your 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 friends. You just don't fuck over people in general, right? You don't want to be a doormat, but you don't want to be one of those people that fucks people over. You don't fuck over your friends. You don't fuck over your your wife or your husband or your family, right? Those things are inviolate in the world. You just don't fuck them over. You need, you need a degree of loyalty and also building a bridge between how you treat people and how other people treat you. So when you do that, then you're crossing a line. There are lines that are crossed. The duality lines, they're crossed. And when they're crossed, you know, now you're participating in, in and I know it's a judgment-based world, but I'm sorry. There are things that are, that are wrong. They're just wrong. You know they're wrong. You know they're wrong when you're doing them. Now that said, we also have to transcend that, especially in this case, because what they're trying to do is they're trying to play this conditioning piece in the whole Mar-a-Lago piece is a conditioning piece. Like, well, that's wrong. That violates somebody's home, somebody's privacy, right? Their own personal goods. And everybody can relate to that. So there's that line and it crosses that line. So they're, they're willing to throw down, right? They're, they're willing to, th- but we don't know really what the hell is going on there. One of the things that came out of this thing with Trump was that he had a record day in fundraising, a record day, huge. I mean, it was almost as if, okay, I'm going to launch my new campaign on the backs of this moment. And of course you have denial from the White House and 
all these other things, which you'll completely get. They will gaslight you whenever they can. They will gaslight you whenever they can. They'll tell you that they're gaslighting you too. So that's part of it, right? Because people look at this and they just, you know, get more and more frustrated and more and more um, angry over how things are being run or misrun. So what do they want? Now we're stoking the fires again for, you know, trying to flip the script in the midterms and voting people out. Good luck with that. The system, the voting system is completely rigged, has been for a long time. Oh, I got a little side story about that. Then then I'm going to get into some more Trump here. I'm going to play Trump's uh, speech that he released yesterday on the same day that uh, his place gets raided. Talk about timing. I'm going to play that speech. Then I'm going to kind of critique that speech a little bit. But I'll give, you, I'll give you a little story here. So long, it feels like a long time ago. I think it was 2018, four years ago. I was part of a campaign here in Fredericksburg to have the fluoride removed from our water. And we were emboldened to do this because a friend of ours, somebody we got, got to know and a great guy, Sam Brandon, a big shout out to Sam Sam is a true, true American. And this is a guy that, that was living in slumberland, but then he woke up and, you know, there are people who, when they wake up, they can take action and uh, reasonable action. And Sam was one of those guys. So he led the charge to have the fluoride removed from San Marcos, which is a college town just South of Austin. It took them two years to do it. <clears throat> they ran up against uh, hurdle after hurdle after hurdle with trying to get the fluoride removed. They, have, they had to sue the city because the city was kept changing the rules of engagement and recognize, not recognizing um, their, uh, their signatures. For the, it's, not, it's not a petition. If you have, uh, if your city is a home rule city, right, you can amend the city charter by getting enough signatures to put something on the ballot so that people can actually vote on it. And that's what they were doing. And the city kept changing, San Marcos kept changing the rules. And um, they eventually had an election on it and they won. They had people that were actually inside of the places where they were counting the votes. And there seems to be a consensus that the, that the overseers of the ballots were the thing that kind of changed the tide because there were rumors of strange people kind of had nothing to do with the election, walking in, kind of looking around, furtively seeing all these other people that were watching what was going on and for whatever reason, you know, leaving. So San Marcos these guys had the fluoride taken out of the water in San Marcos. It was a big deal. So we used that idea that that could happen. And then Kyle had their fluoride removed and uh, uh, I forget the other city now though. Uh, They had their fluoride removed. It'll come to me. And 
It's like three cities in a row. No fluoride, no fluoride, no fluoride. So we, we went for it and we amended the city charter. We got something on the ballot and it was weird. I just got to say it was weird because every, you know, we had our own little exit polls and it seemed like most people were very positive. We had people at all the different uh, polling places with signs and, you know, on the in, on the out. And I would, and I was there and we were getting probably maybe three to one, like huzzas as people left. And then something really weird happened during the day. They had to go get more ballots. Now this was a special election. I think they had one other thing that they were voting on. So they had to get more ballots. And this is for a town, by the way, where if they're lucky on a, on a major election with the mayor, city council people, you know, a bond measure, they'll get maybe 2,500, maybe 3,000 people max for a town that has 10,000 people. So they never ran into the whole ballot issue before, but now they ran into it during this election. And then the, the, the drama started with the uh, polling observers, you know, people actually went into where they were, they were counting the votes and it got very ugly, very, very ugly and abusive and not letting people in like what's really going on here. Are they just trying to assert their power or is there something else happening? So then they, we did an audit of the votes and there was a lot of disparities, a lot of disparities. And uh, Jeanette, my friend Jeanette Hormuth, whom I've had on the show before, uh, filed a suit against the city. And shortly after she filed that suit, I guess it was what, like maybe the first like quarter of COVID, the mayor who was named in the suit resigned. Now she may have resigned because she didn't want to deal with the COVID controversy above her pay grade, but she'd already been sued once as a mayor and lost. And the, the law in Texas that if you are sued twice and you lose twice, you can never run for any political office in the state again. So she was holding her chip. She's still on the suit. Now what happened recently is that, this thing is finally going to go to trial in October because they waived the mediation process. And when that happens, it's usually a sign that the judge who's presiding over it said, you know, it's like, well, there's not enough here to go to trial on. So why don't we mediate this and try to keep this from going to court and having everybody spend a bunch of money that didn't happen. So now as it's headed towards trial in October, everybody that's connected with the election commission here in the city and the county has quit. They've all quit. And these are people who have been there for a long time and they're dubious characters. So now as the light is being shown on their little hijinks, the cockroaches are running. They're scrambling for the, for the exits. 
it's just a little aside I thought you would be interested in. And I'll keep you posted as how all that unfolds. So let's go back to yesterday. We get the news. There's all kinds of significant numbers. Trump is pumping this on Truth Social. Something big is coming on 8-8. And of course, it happens on 8-8. There's all these weird numbers around it, which there's always been this stuff around Trump. So I'm going to play the video that came out the same day. And I want to break down the video a little bit. And I'm going to try to go a little, maybe a, lo a level deeper here. And um, that's Hey19. Uh, where's that video? Here we go. All right. I'm going to play this. Um, it's about five minutes long. And I think I'll still have some time for some commentary afterwards. If you haven't seen it, it made the rounds yesterday. And um, let me bring it back here. Make it larger. We are a nation in decline. We are a failing nation. Okay, you can hear automatically underneath his speech a storm. And this has been something that has been talked about in these circles for a while. Like the storm is coming. The storm is coming. So you can hear it underneath, right? This is subliminal. Or for some people, not so subliminal. Some, for some people, it will be um, a sign that the things that have been talked about are now about to come true. All right, let's keep going. Monochrome, everything is black and white. We are a nation that has the highest inflation in over 40 years. Where the stock market just finished the worst first half of a year in more than five decades. We are a nation that has the highest energy cost in its history, and we are no longer energy independent or energy dominant, which we were just two short years ago. We are a nation that is begging Venezuela and Saudi Arabia for oil. We are a nation that surrendered in Afghanistan. Fake plane. Leaving behind dead soldiers, up. American citizens, and $85 billion worth of the finest military equipment in the world. It wasn't the finest, but we left a lot. We are a nation that allowed Russia to devastate a country, Ukraine, killing hundreds of thousands of people. Okay, that's an interesting comment. That is an interesting comment. We're a nation that has allowed Russia to devastate Ukraine, killing hundreds of thousands of people. Now, if you are somebody who is vehemently on the Trump train, why are you questioning that? Now, why aren't you questioning that? Now, of course, the answer would be, well, he has to do that to make sure that his uh, alliance with uh, Putin and I'm, gonna, I'm not even talking about from like the left's version of it. I'm talking about the right's version of it, that the two are secretly in this alliance to take down uh, the, uh, the evil puppet masters of the world. 
But on the surface, he's saying that that Russia is a big, big time villain here, but that the Ukrainian people are the ones that are the victims. What he doesn't talk about, what he never talks about, is he never talks about the neocons. He never talks about the Zionists. He doesn't talk. He doesn't talk about any of this shit. Never, ever. And so, he is. He is the king the undisputed king of polarity. He's a Gemini. So he rides this wave. And with all of the indignation and the incense and the fury, you're willing to overlook. People are willing to overlook some of these things. Because, well, at least he's talking about them. At least he's bringing them up. Well, it's, it's, it's part of the bigger script, right? It's to get you to think about what he's not talking about. Let's keep going. And again, I am not here to savage Trump. And that's not what I'm here to do. What I'm here to do, at least in this moment, is to try to get people to understand this duality game that they're forcing us into. And you can still see certain things and say, well, this is right, and this is right, and this is right. The things that he's saying, they're not wrong except for the Russia part, they're not wrong. So how can you disagree with that? But if you agree with it, then you're agreeing with everything else that goes along with that unspoken contract, which is the duality game. All right, here we go. Let's keep going. People, and it will only get worse. We're a nation that has weaponized its law enforcement against the opposing political party like never before. We've never seen anything like this. We are a nation that no longer has a free and fair press. Fake news is about all you get. Okay, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to play you a speech. Now, he's talking about the FBI. He's not talking about cops. Although when you use the word law enforcement, cops are a part of it. He's using law enforcement as a cover for saying the FBI. And as far as the fake news goes, all he had to do was change the Smith-Munt Act, which basically ends the ability for the CIA to use propaganda inside of the borders of the United States, blatantly. Didn't do that. All right, let's keep going. We are a nation where free speech is no longer allowed, where crime is rampant like never before, where the economy has been collapsing, where more people died of COVID in 2021 than in 2020. The reason more people died of COVID in 2021 is because they got the fucking vaccine. Okay, Trump gets no pass for me on the vaccine. Sorry, even people who I, I know and love dearly, I will not. I will not relent on this point. And you can make a case, well, if he didn't do that, we'd still be in a lockdown. I don't really believe that. Um, we're still seeing the, the, the backlash of the vaccines. People are dying. Young people are dying. Now they're rolling out another vaccine, another vaccine, another vaccine. He didn't do anything to Fauci. His hands were tied. Not once did he ever mention BLM when the country was burning down. Not once. He threatened to make Antifa a terrorist organization. Twice. Never did. So 
I just have to be here in this moment to tweak some of the message because the message is not totally correct or true, but they're doing their best to get you to overlook those points because the bigger point is that now we are in this duality game that his home has been threatened. Your home can be threatened. That's the subliminal there, right? That is a subliminal there that your home can be threatened. And in some ways it's not so subliminal, but that's another point. All right, here we go. We are a nation that is allowing Iran to build a massive nuclear weapon and China to use the trillions and trillions of dollars it's taken from the United States. So now we're letting Iran build a massive nuclear weapon. That's been going on for fucking years. Okay, years. It's okay if uh, Pakistan has nuclear weapons. If uh, Iran wanted to get a nuclear weapon, could they just buy one from Pakistan? I mean, they're both Muslim countries. Nobody talks about Pakistan having so-called nuclear weapons or India having so-called nuclear weapons. But it's Iran. Iran is always the boogeyman. Iran is always the boogeyman. All right, let's keep going. To build a military to rival our own. We are a nation that over the past two years is no longer respected or listened to all around the world. And we are a nation that is hostile to liberty and freedom. That's all by design, by the way. The whole Biden thing, the Harris thing, it's all by design. They want them to look as inept as possible. To, again, stoke the fire of resentment and frustration. It's just in your face, gaslighting every day. And are the two sides complicit in this process? I would say yes, they are. Just go back to the election. Bush, Kerry, the two skull and bonesmen. Now, that said, the weird thing about Trump is that he's also an outsider. He's also an outsider. And there are things you can look at with Trump, like, Go back and watch his, uh, you know, press conference with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and how painful it is and how Trump is trying to be reasonable with these people. And they're just not. And you can tell that Trump is not acting. At least I can tell. I'm going to I'm going to trust my instincts on that. So that gets us into this weird world where both things can be equally true at the same time. And that is hard for people to wrap their head around. All right, let's keep going. We're a nation whose economy is floundering, whose stores are not stocked, whose deliveries are not coming, and whose educational system is ranked at the bottom of every list. We are a nation that in many ways has become a joke. But soon we will have greatness again. It was hardworking patriots Shift like to the you music. who built this country. Black and white to color. Hardworking no storm like sounds. Who are going to save our country. There is no mountain we cannot climb. There is no summit we cannot reach. There is no challenge we cannot beat. There is no victory we cannot have. We will not bend. We will not break. 
we will not yield ever, ever, ever. We will never give in, we will never give up, and we will never, ever back down. We will never let you down as long as we... Okay, it's a great, great campaign-style video. No doubt. Like, if you are in that world, based on the timing of everything that came out yesterday, the same day all this other stuff came out, you're like, I'm in. I'm in. I've had enough. I've had enough. That leads us to our next video, which takes place in 2017, which I have queued up. And it is a video where Trump is basically saying enough is enough. And it has to do with attacks against the police. Now, that's in stark contrast to the video that he posted yesterday where he has this broad indictment of law enforcement. He has to say law enforcement because he can't say FBI. By the way, the guy he appointed to be the FBI, the director of the FBI, he's still there. It's Tr Christopher Ray, Trump's appointee. Okay, here we go. There's a reason for the bright line. I'll tell you about it in a second. Okay. Where have we seen enough is enough? Where have we seen it? Let me show you. It's funny, I was actually uh, talking about this very same Illuminati card this weekend. We had some friends who were uh, dear Chatarians that we had brunch with them on uh, Saturday, very simple kind of brunch. And um, one of them, I think both of them had not heard of the Illuminati cards. And so I brought them up and I sh showed them examples. And the one example that I, that I brought up was this one, which is very much like Trump, which is the enough is enough card. Now, there are people who believe that the Illuminati cards were created because, uh, oh, there's no sound. I'm sorry. All right. So did I, I fucking hate this sometimes. Let me go back. Well, how much time do I have left? Thanks for the uh, reminder. Sometimes this happens, you know? Sure screen, sound. Let me try it again. Let me go back to the enough is enough speech. 
It was just the last. Yeah, I don't know. Again, I don't know. I don't know why that shit happens sometimes. So I apologize for that. Um, hold on. That's right here. Okay. I have Asia on in the background. Okay, I'll try it again. I apologize. Uh, I had the uh, volume input clicked, so I did my job. Let's try it again. At this amazing assembly of police, detectives, marshals, and sheriffs, I want to make all of you remember and heed this promise. I will always support the incredible men and women of law enforcement as much as you have always supported me. The attacks on our police are a stain on the very fabric of our society, and you are entitled to leadership at the highest level that will draw a bright. You know who this guy reminds me of? He reminds me of the guy from the other video at the beginning. He's like the same guy, but a few years later, he talks about a bright line here. And then he says, enough is enough. I'm not going to bring you through the whole video again. Um, but the enough is enough comes out of the Illuminati cards. And you can see it here with the Illuminati cards, which I just brought up. You can see it clearly. You can see it on the, uh, on the live stream. There's the enough is enough. There's Trump. I brought this up this last weekend and it's kind of making the rounds now. Right. And some people believe that all this stuff was pre-scripted. I mean, you can see like terrorist nuke up here, which looks like the, uh, uh, Twin Towers. There's also another card that's been linked to Trump called Charismatic Leader. And it's got the, you know, the big blonde hair. So this is one of the reasons why I feel like it's important to not get stuck in this duality vortex and get played. It doesn't mean that you can't have a position but your position should always be a position that you, you can reevaluate. You have to evaluate what's important to you. The problem is that when the shit hits the fan and theoretically the bullets start flying, if that's the case, what are people going to do at that point? Because you'll be drawn into a side, I guarantee you. And the whole idea would be to crash the system and crash it from within. And that would be the coup de grace. And it would be the inception of possibly some kind of global governance and the end of the United States as we know it, which could be even worse than what we have now. So the bright line in the sand has to do with an actual legal term called the, the bright line concept or the bright line um, ideology so in law, basically, there are two ways in which you can adjudicate a case, 
right? One of which is based on some level of, you know, equality or fairness, you know, Libra, the scales of justice. The bright line model, and there's there's a whole Wikipedia page dedicated to it, is that there is a clear demarcation of something that's right and wrong. And there's no adjudication. There's no trying to balance out certain factors as to why a certain thing happened, which you will get with that other version of the fairness doctrine or something like that, right? So he's actually saying that for a reason. I don't think he was really clearly uh, educated on the bright line. I think probably Stephen Miller, but there's a reason. And one of the famous bright line cases relates to the Cheney Corporation. And maybe I'll talk about that tomorrow. Well, why don't we leave that here? We'll start with the bright line concept, Cheney Corporation, and then the Cheney shenanigans with Trump. And again, more of the high strange and, and weird timeline, you know, polarity. Use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to say what's possible. I forgot to give a shout out to Chris today and True Hemp Science. So tomorrow um, I will do that and we'll, He's a sponsor of the show, and I never want to forget Chris, and we'll do an extra long 